This is the Talk of the Town. From Morgantown to Clarksburg, if it's happening, we're talking about it. Call the show toll-free at 1-800-765-8255. Now, here is your host for the Talk of the Town, Dave Wilson. Good morning. Welcome to the program. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope your week is off to a good start. T-minus four days until the high school football season kicks off. Inside of two weeks for the return of college football. I'm finally in that mindset. Went to uh, watch Morgantown scrimmage on Friday night. University scrimmaged on Saturday. And uh, all right, I'm ready. It was a short summer for me personally uh, because everything from the winter got pushed back. So the state baseball tournament wasn't until the end of June, which means for all intents and purposes, my summer didn't start until we got into the month of July. So kind of a short summer, but don't mistake that for complaining. Uh, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for Cease High School football. It was nice to see fans back in the stands. Uh, last Friday night, it'll be good to see them there this coming Friday as Morgantown plays host to South Charleston. We'll talk a little high school football with Metro News Sports. Joe Bracado, he'll join me in 10 minutes. The preseason Metro News High School football power rankings were released. No surprises at the top of that list. Uh, Martinsburg, Fairmont Senior, and Wheeling Central claiming the top spots in their respective classes. We'll break it down with Joe Bro, tell you what to look for coming up Friday night. Bottom of the hour, uh, this caught my eye about a week ago, and looking forward to this conversation, WB researchers took a look at policies that high schools across the country use to protect student-athletes from the most common safety threats. I know when we talk student-athlete safety right now, we're mainly... That comes up in regards to COVID, unfortunately. But this took a look at some of the other policies uh, regarding you know, everyday injuries that you got to deal with, concussion safety. So we'll get into that coming up at the bottom of the hour. And your calls, text, tweets, of course, always welcome. 800-765-TALK, 800-765-8255. And uh, the text line, 304-TALK-304. My weekend reading includes the West Virginia Gazette Mail. And there was a column in Sunday's edition by Phil Kabler. Phil, of course, uh, covers the Capitol. And you will see him pop up from time to time during the governor's briefings. And, uh, well, don't be shocked if he is also the target of some of the governor's um, frustration, to put it one way. But Phil wrote a column about the state census numbers, and the focus of his column became Montegalia County, and that's why it caught my eye. Montegalia, of course, one of eight counties in West Virginia that actually gained population in the last decade. Now, the idea of the column was West Virginia needs to take a look at the areas of the state that grew in the last decade and what they are doing. Now, Of course, if you're in the eastern panhandle, Berkeley County, Jefferson County, it's not a secret as to why those counties have seen economic success. A lot of that has to do with the location and the proximity to the D.C. Baltimore Metroplex over there. There are a lot of people who work over in Loudoun County, Virginia, or even work in the middle of downtown D.C. but don't want anything to do with living there, so they live out in Berkeley 
and Jefferson counties. You can't move everybody next to a major metroplex, so Phil zeroed in on Monongalia County because Monongalia County has grown in the last decade. Now, predictably, he took some shots at the governor and eventually came around to the idea that state officials should look at Monongalia County in particular. We're not near a major metroplex. Yes, it's about two and a half hours to Pittsburgh, but it's not as if you have a huge number of people driving Morgantown to Pittsburgh for their commute every day. He went on, as you read the column, to at least imply that part of the Montague County area's success is its politics. And Mon County has been described by some, or at least Morgantown, as a blueberry and tomato soup. It's a more progressive area. You have the bulk of state lawmakers are Democrat. For the five delegates in the 51st, I think it's five of six for the county total, those two little sections on the ends. Your two state senators in the 13th district, which represents most of Montegalia County and Marion, are both Democrats. So part of the political implication here was that the more progressive thinking, more progressive politics of Montegalia County played a part in its prosperity. Well, it'd be naive to think that it isn't a variable but i also question whether or not that it is the prominent factor in the area's prosperity people go to where the jobs are and there are jobs in monongalia county and morgantown that's what was behind my moves in life i went to where the jobs were coming out of college the job was in virginia my wife's job was in virginia that's where we went got the opportunity to work here i came here if a job came open somewhere else, if a job came open in California, if I got offered to be the Lakers play-by-play guy tomorrow, I would move to California despite the political thinking of that state. People go to where the jobs are. And if you look across West Virginia, where are the jobs? They're in the eastern panhandle and they're in north-central West Virginia. Montague County's economy locally is pretty diverse. You've got the university You've got the two hospitals. You've got the major health care systems. You've got other areas of the economy to work in. And that's why Montague County is well-suited to absorb the blow that is the shutdown of Beatrice, the old Milan plant, because it's not the sole employer. It's not the sole industry. That is the entire lifeblood of the town. It hurts, but it's not a fatal blow, such as the case in places like McDowell County or Mercer County or pick any of the southern coal fields, when the mine shuts down, it cripples everyone in that town because that was the sole employer. That's why the town probably existed in the first place was because there was a coal mine there, and that fed every other aspect of that local economy. Not the case here. People go to where the jobs are. Which goes back to the declining coal industry, southern part of the state. That was the economy. That is the economy. And when that shuts down and it starts to affect every aspect of it, you see those declines. You see the decline of the steel industry in the northern panhandle or and down in the tri-state area as well. And also, 
Morgantown's location ain't bad either, and that goes for Bridgeport, Clarksburg, and Fairmont as well when you have the interstate coming by, I-79, I-68. You're within two and a half hours of Pittsburgh. Five hours, you're in the middle of downtown D.C., and you're within three hours of probably some of the best recreation areas in the state. The location doesn't hurt either. You can get here. You can get to other places. My point is this. After reading that, I get the political implications, and that is certainly a variable that needs to be taken into consideration. But to imply that strictly politics is the reason for prosperity, that's a little bit misguided and an effort to turn everything political, and that doesn't need to be the case all the time. 800-765-TALKS, the phone number, 304-TALK, 304 is the text line. The first Metro News high school football power rankings are out, the preseason rankings. I am one of the highly esteemed voters in that poll. We'll talk to Metro News Sports' Joe Bracata. We'll break it down. We'll get you set for high school football coming up at the end of the week. It's 9:15. We're off to a good well, we're off to a start on a Monday morning back in a moment. Join the conversation at 1-800-765-8255. This is the Talk of the Town. The first edition of the Metro News High School Football Power Rankings came out yesterday. I am one of the highly esteemed voters in that poll. Martinsburg, Fairmont, Senior, Wheeling Central all take the top spots. No shock there. Uh, Another of the highly esteemed voters in that poll and one of the premier experts on high school football in the state of West Virginia is Metro News Sports Joe Bracado. He joins us on Talk of the Town. Good morning, Joe. That's a lot of superlatives being thrown around at this hour of the morning, dude. Uh, I'm glad I could. Uh, well, you know, you deserve them, Joe. I just threw toss him up there. Um, <laughs> power rankings week one, Martinsburg, South Charleston, Spring Valley, Cabell Midland, Bridgeport, one, two, three, four, five in class AAA. Not really shocking there, huh? No, and um, when all the results were tabulated and had a chance to look at everything, kind of nodded the head and said, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, which – you know, we have 21 voters from all over the state, so uh, you know it, it's you're not really sure what the voting. If there's going to be some regionalization of some teams, that some teams may be viewed higher based on region than otherwise. But yeah, I think in Class AAA, the top four, the top four, Bridgeport certainly uh, deserving of a spot in the top five, and then the teams that go six through ten in Musselman, Parkersburg, Wheeling Park, Hurricane, and Princeton, some significant graduation losses for a lot of those teams, but uh, probably pretty well positioned where they are. Class AAA, um, no Martinsburg on the Morgantown schedule, so my only chance to see them might be in the playoffs. Joe, you got a chance to visit the Bulldogs camp. I got to think they are a little salty about the way 2020 went for them, and they are probably fired up for the season. Well, they're certainly not alone in that. There are a lot of teams (laughs) that uh, had the same fate, unfortunately, with their season ending via the COVID map as Martinsburg didn't. Their head coach, Rick Sherman, who it was his first year as a head coach, even though he'd been in the program for 17 years prior, he says that was one of the toughest conversations that he's had with the guys in, in his history in the program was to go in the locker room and, and tell them that, you know, you didn't, lose, you didn't lose on the field, you didn't do anything wrong, but the season's over. And that conversation was held by a lot of teams. I think Martinsburg uh, is a very deserving number one team. 
certainly have a tremendous amount of talent. They've got a pair of Division One guys on offense, and Braxton Todd, who's headed to Bowling Green, and Jacob Barrett, who has a, an offer from Marshall, who's a quality tight end and linebacker. Uh, great depth along the lines. I mean, everything that Martinsburg needs there to be successful is there. I will get a look at South Charleston. As a matter of fact, I'll get a look at them Friday night as the de facto uh, state champs from a year ago uh, end up uh, opening the season against Morgantown. And they only come to town, Joe, with uh, a handful of Division One recruits and probably the best quarterback in the state. Yeah, you can make the argument that Trey Dunn, a junior, is indeed that. Had tremendous improvement a year ago. And even though they only played six games, uh, was able to put – I believe 27 combined touchdowns on the board. So he is one of the better quarterbacks in the state without question. Uh, and another pair of Division One players uh, on the rise, and Mari Lawton, Zyke Lawton's younger brother. Zyke is just starting out at Cincinnati. Mari has an offer from Cincinnati. Mondrell Dean also with Division One offers as well. So certainly on, on talent. And, and I think the, what uh, may also improve a great deal for South Charleston is their, their guys along the line. Xavier Bosley has a, a Division One FCS offer. Um, so there's, there's certainly some great guys that South Charleston has coming back and, and a lot to be excited about there. You know, Morgantown opens the season. You face South Charleston. They're going to spread you out and want to go to speed. Then you turn around and you got to take on another top 10 team in Bridgeport who's going to do it completely opposite. So that's uh, two tough openers for the Mohegans. Yeah, you can't uh, draw it up much more difficult than that. And, uh, you know, Bridgeport, a team that even though they're working in a lot of, of new linemen, they still made perhaps the best free agent coaching acquisition that you could uh, possibly hope for, which is keeping uh, the head coach, John Cole, who will now transition to the role of line coach, former Morgantown assistant Tyler Ferris, is now the new head coach of the Indians. So there's certainly continuity, even though that some of the positions uh, have changed uh, on their coaching staff. Got a great, versatile quarterback back in Cam Cole. Uh, who was you know tremendous all-around multi-sport athlete for the Indians. So there's lots of good pieces there, even though there will be perhaps early on in the season a little bit of growing pains just sort of working into new guys on the line. Yeah, you're going to want to catch Bridgeport uh, early in the year. Talking to Joe Bricado, Metro News Sports, and uh, Class AA got three top ten teams here in the region. Fairmont Senior we already mentioned at number one. RCB checks in at three. North Marion at number eight. Is this the year for... The Eagles of Robert C. Bird, Joe. I think if you look at some talent at a couple of specific positions, it certainly could be. There aren't many running backs uh, in the last ye- in the last few years that have come through the state that have posted better numbers than Jeremiah King. He's a senior running back for Bird. Last year became their all-time leading rusher. He's about 150 yards away from uh, breaking the 5,000-yard mark and will have an entire season to add to that mark. So he's a tremendous player. Uh, head coach Josh Farrell is pretty optimistic that their line, even though they suffer some graduation losses, uh, is going to step up and fill those spots that they lost. So I certainly think if there was a year for Bird to make some noise, it's there. You mentioned North Marion. Um, North Marion's a team that has a Division One prospect, a wide receiver, and Tariq Miller. He's sitting on an offer from Marshall University. Uh, so North Marion, with, that, with a great pitch-and-catch combo of Tariq Miller from Brody Hall, those guys certainly have some talent to uh, – uh, build on the success that they had last year getting to the quarterfinals. See, Fairmont Senior will open up at Lewis County. Robert C. Bird will be at Kaiser. And uh, North Marion will play host to East Fairmont to get the season started this weekend. Class single A, got to mention Doddridge County. They're in at number five. Bulldogs were 6-2 and two a year ago. And this is a very top-heavy 
Class Single A Central, Williamstown, Ritchie County, Midland Trail, Doddridge in the top five. Uh, it's it's right for the picking there for the Bulldogs. Yeah, and you look at four of the seven teams uh, in the in Class A are all from the Little Kanawha Conference. Add St. Mary's in there at number seven. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Doddridge County, and and there's they've had two great running backs that have uh, been graduated in the last two years. Hunter America. Uh, class of 2019, Reese Burnside, the class of 2020. It looks like Dylan Knight is the next man up to tote the rock. Uh, a great deal for the Bulldogs. Most of their line returns, and they've got enough experience back in a number of key positions. The head coach Bob Burnside's pretty excited about what they have. At number three, they're, they're border rivals from Ritchie County. That's a team that is very well set up for success. Uh, they've got one of the best individual athletes in Gus Morrison in the state back. They've got a quarterback in Ethan Hawk, who has a sophomore through 23 touchdowns against just one interception. Uh, so they're pretty well set up. And don't look past the guys that won two, Wheeling Central and Williamstown. Joe, you've been all over the state for preseason camp. You had to get three oil changes just to get all your travels in. Give me a team that you noticed that maybe nobody's talking about to, in any of the three classes. Is, is somebody – did somebody jump out at you that maybe nobody's watching yet? Well, I, I do think there's one team that I, when we looked at the poll results, I had rated a lot more higher. Frankfurt in class AA mm. uh, is the first in the receiving votes category. I had them up at number three in my poll. I mean, that's a team that overachieved last year, and they've got a lot back from that group. I think they're certainly going to be uh, a factor in class AA, no question about it. Uh, so I certainly think they bear watching. I think in class A, the team I saw in Buffalo, they're also with their first receiving votes of the first team out of the polling class A. I think that's a team that's, you know, that's got one of the best defensive players in the state and Drew Clendenin coming back and, and uh, a, a reasonable amount of depth overall. So probably keep an eye on Frankfurt and Buffalo. This is the hardest one all year. The, the one we got to fill out to going into the season because you're looking at who graduated, who's coming back, who's on the schedule. I, I think this is always the hardest poll of the year to do, Joe. No, no question about it. You, you're, you're going off of last year's results and this year's potential, and until you actually see that, and, and yes, teams have played scrimmages to this point, but until you actually see uh, you know, the actual games going on with keeping score and, and one versus ones the whole way, yeah, it's difficult. But you know, that, that's part of the challenge of it, and by this time next week we'll have uh, a full set of results to go with it. By this time next week, Joe, we'll have it all figured out. We'll be able to, with 100% certainty, tell you who will be at Wheeling Island Stadium, and we won't have to worry about uh, the next uh, 10 weeks after that, right? Yes. <laughs> cool, cool question mark. Did did you did you enjoy your last weekend off until December? Uh, it, it was reasonably pretty well. I was, I was in yesterday. I uh, caught the WVU women's soccer game against Virginia. Uh, good match, competitive match. Yeah. One nothing win for Virginia. But um, yeah, no, it was an enjoyable weekend. Did you get eighteen in on Saturday? Yes. Very well. What was the score? The score was an 84, which is way better than the average. So uh, I think now I can safely put the golf clubs away for the season and do so relatively happily. All right, mentioning sports, Joe Bracato, uh, starting today, he will be the hardest working man in media for the next 11 weeks. Joe, appreciate it very much. Oh, uh, you can catch Joe uh, Wednesday night's high school sports line, and uh, he'll be a part of the cast of hundreds Friday night's Metro News High School game night returns Friday night at uh, 10 p.m. Joe, thank you very much, buddy. Sounds good. Thanks, Dave. All righty. Coming up, high school student athlete safety. We'll talk about it.
Right now it's 9.30. Let's get a news update. Check in with the Metro News Anchor Desk. Find out what's happening across West Virginia. Now back to the talk of the town. Over the last whole year or better when we've been talking player safety when it comes to high school student-athletes, usually it's been something related to COVID, uh, keeping players you know, socially distanced, wearing masks, keeping them on the field, keeping them and, and hopefully preventing infection and preventing spread. But uh, there's also the issue of player safety in the more traditional sense that you know when it comes to head injuries, uh, other safety protocols and policies that are in place to hopefully prevent uh, injuries and especially major catastrophic sorts of issues from happening. Those are being looked at by researchers and including WVU uh, researchers investigating policies that high schools across the country have implemented to protect student athletes from some of the most common safety threats. Uh, WVU researcher Samantha Carnio Miller who is an assistant professor at the School of Medicine's Department of Human Performance Athletic Training and the director of Master of Science in Athletic Programs. Took a look at some of those policies, and she joins us now to explain what she found. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. You went in-depth. You looked at these policies all around the country. But let's look at West Virginia. First of all, what did you look at? What were you looking for? Yeah, so the top four causes of sudden death in sport are what we call the four H's, and that is heart, so cardiac arrest, heat, exertional heat stroke, head, traumatic head injuries, and this isn't just concussions. We're talking brain bleeds, skull fractures, that type of stuff, and then something called hemoglobin, which is a sickle cell trait, so you can be born with a trait for sickling and not have the full-blown disease. But if you exert yourself too much when you have this trait, it can be fatal. So the four H's, head, heart, heat, and hemoglobin, uh, make up over 90% of our catastrophic injuries in sports. So we wanted to look at what are states requiring for these health and safety policies, whether it be the State High School Athletics Association or state legislation. And we actually started the study back in 2017. So our most recent publication on it is showing the progress since that time. And what did you find? Are we making progress? Are we getting better? We are, yes. As a nation, we are getting better. Um, We are seeing that scores have increased about six points or so since 2017. And that might not sound like a lot, but any type of increase uh, requiring these health and safety policies is going to potentially save more lives. Uh, West Virginia specifically, yes, we are doing better. Um, We still have a ways to go, but in the state, we have made some huge strides to improve our health and safety standards for high school athletes. Well, where does West Virginia rank amongst uh, states and and D.C. across the country? Yes. So when this study was published, we were ranked 17th. And so, you know, with research, you always have about a year delay. And we see that West Virginia stays somewhere around that 17th overall um, with all 50 states in D.C. Uh, Right now we have Florida is ranked first, and that's a big change since that publication was originally submitted. In West Virginia, we are now down to 19th, but that's not a huge deal. 
you know, we uh, we have some new things coming out in West Virginia in the next year or so that I think that it's going to help our ranking. Well, what is what is West Virginia West Virginia doing well, and what are some of those things that you think will help coming in the near future? Yeah, so most recently, the WVSSAC just required that all high schools have an emergency action plan, and this emergency action plan is a great way to try to manage any type of catastrophic injury. So whether you have a cardiac arrest, a heat stroke, an asthma attack, or a lightning strike, an emergency action plan can help to respond to that emergency in a cohesive, calm, consistent way. Uh, Some things that we need to improve upon are our heat policies. We don't have many things required from a heat acclimatization standpoint, that's the gradually phasing in of activity and the heat. Um, right now, we have this really interesting policy for when we need to modify practices and games based on the heat. And it's using heat index, but it has really high, almost unattainable values, uh, which make it an interesting policy because I don't think anybody will ever hit those values. So we need to revise that to be what's called wet bulb globe temperature and make it more regionally specific. So that it's specific towards our athletes here in West Virginia. Um, those are really the big points from about, uh, that standpoint. What about athletic trainers? And this is just anecdotally speaking where I, where I cover high school sports. If you're in Montague County, it, very fortunate they have a great relationship with the WVU and a great relationship with HealthWorks, and you're able to have you know athletic trainers on staff, and they're there. Other areas of the state, you don't have that opportunity. It seems like there's a varying degree of trainers a available, and what kind of uh, you know training they've received along the way. Is is that uh, a fair observation? Yes, and I apologize for my dog in the background. Um, <laughs> he he didn't like the he didn't like uh, that we don't have athletic trainers in the state. Yeah, <laughs> at, at West Virginia, you know, we struggle with access to athletic training services. As of the most recent report, which was published in 2020, 43 percent of the state had access to athletic training services. Which I think, if you look at how many schools we have, that ended up being about 40 schools in our state had access to athletic training services, but only 18% of our schools had access to full-time athletic training services. Uh, You know, athletic trainers, we are healthcare professionals. We are the ones who you want on your sideline to prevent sudden death in sport. If you have an athletic trainer on your sideline and you have an athlete who's having an exertional heat stroke, we can literally save their life it is 100 percent survivable with proper recognition and care and that's what an athletic trainer does uh i don't know the specific ranking of where we fall for athletic training services but i would assume it's somewhere between 45th and i know it's not last because i think oklahoma is still last however these data were before covid and with covid a lot of schools needed to look deep into their budgets and look where they could cut some things. And unfortunately, some athletic trainers got cut, um, you know, around the state, I think even Mon County. So we're, we're really struggling with access to athletic training services. There's also this really, I'm just going to flat out say it, terrible law in the state that says that you can have a quote unquote trainer, uh, which I hate 
that word for so many reasons because we are not training dogs or horses or anything like that. But it says you can have a, a, a trainer on site who basically is um, a certified football trainer, I think they call it, that takes like a two-hour class and then can be your healthcare services, even though they have no background compared to a certified athletic trainer who's licensed in the state of West Virginia. We need to have at least a four year bachelor's degree and you have to be licensed and you have to be certified by our our accrediting agency. And that has since changed to a master's degree that's now required. So you're now going to need six years of schooling compared to this two-hour or four-hour class that the state is allowing right now. That sounds, uh, Samantha, that sounds like what uh, I had back back in the day when I played, where the remedy for everything, bone could be sticking out. Eh, well, put some ice on it for 20 minutes, and then we'll see how you feel. That was the remedy for everything. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, put some ice on it, tape it up, you yep. know, all that, all that stuff. And I think we've seen that evolved so much in concussions over the past few years, you know, seeing that we don't call it a bell ringer anymore. We don't call it getting, you know, your bell rung, anything like that. And that's because we're seeing healthcare evolve and that's where athletic trainers come into play. And I think, you know, getting more, getting more access to athletic trainers in our state is going to be a really big push, uh, hopefully over the next couple of years here. Samantha, what kind of impact has COVID had over the last year as far as, having athletes prepared to go out and play and, and being in shape because a lot of preventing injuries, a lot of preventing of what you said is, you know, part of that is, is being in shape and being ready to go play the games. I'm just wondering if you've had an opportunity or, or have to look at the impact that COVID has had on, on getting these athletes ready to actually go out and compete in games. Yeah. So I can say from an anecdotal standpoint, because you know, research takes a little bit of time, sure. but, but nationally we have had seven deaths in the last 26 days. Wow. That's absurd. Uh, we, we see, we normally see higher amounts of deaths in July and August. Uh, but we are projecting this to be the deadliest summer that we've had in a very long time. And the reason for that is multi, uh, dimensional, if you will, Student athletes may may not have been as prepared for their seasons as they thought they were. We had one of the hottest Julys on record across the nation. Coaches are super excited to get back onto the field, and that excitement might be translating into a failure to continue with those best practices that we know save lives. Um, you know, lack of athletic training services. Schools had to make cuts in some places, and they might not have that healthcare professional on the side sideline anymore. So from, from an anecdotal standpoint, seven deaths in the last 26 days. And those are only the reported deaths that, you know, I can find on a Google search. So however many more there are that we just don't know about yet, I don't know. And I think that is maybe not directly affiliated with contracting the disease, but rather the pandemic and the social distancing and the um, contact tracing and, and all that stuff. So it is, it has been an, a really terrible wow. past three weeks. Samantha Scarnio Miller uh, with the WVU 
School of Medicine Departments of Human Performance and Athletic Training Director of Master of Science in the Athletic Training Program. Uh, the findings from their study appears in the American Journal of Sports Medicine. Thanks for the insights today, Samantha. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Have an awesome day. Hey, yeah, you as well. Give my best to the pooch, too, by the way. I will. I will. He's <laughs> now sitting next to me. <laughs> Good dog now. Hey, appreciate it, Samantha. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, we're back in a moment. We're talking about your town. Now back to the talk of the town. Breaking just a few minutes ago, being reported, the FDA has now given full full approval to the Pfizer COVID vaccine. The FDA giving full approval to the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. And as you might imagine... All of these self-proclaimed epidemiologists are now on Twitter. I might stay off Twitter the rest of the day. I don't know. It's, you know, just keep coming back. I don't know why. Oy vey. Let's go to the text line, which is much more insightful. I opened the show. I was talking about Phil Kabler's uh, column in the West Virginia Gazette Mail over the weekend. Actually, it was yesterday. And he looked to Monongalia County out of the handful of counties that saw a population growth over the last decade, an economic growth over the last decade. And his larger point was, look at what's going on in Montague County. Let's, let's take a look and see what's happening there, because we're not on the outskirts of a major metroplex. So let's take a look and see what's going on there and see if that can be done other places. But it turned political. The the column turned political, as he pointed out, the representation here. And, yes, Morgantown and Monongalia County, and I would say north-central West Virginia, is more politically progressive, more diverse than certainly other areas of the state. And I said, look, certainly that is a variable, and it can't be discounted as a variable in the growth over the last decade. But to imply that that is the major driver I, I, is misguided. Because people go to where the jobs are. There are jobs in this part of the state with the university and the major health systems. Other industry that is in and around north central West Virginia. Look at what's available up and down the I-79 corridor. So, look, there are... A number of factors that have played a part in the success of this area over the last decade. And that was my point in, okay, not everything has to be strictly about politics. I've never moved because of politics. I've never moved because of income taxes either, Governor. But a texter points out, Dave, the counter-narrative is that the progressive policies in Montague County, Morgantown, have hampered our area's full potential. Signed, your local libertarian. It's an interesting thought. Because I say it's an interesting thought when I look at the area. Sometimes I wonder, is Morgantown, specifically Morgantown, but Montague County as well, in North Central West Virginia, there's a lot of potential with North Central West Virginia Airport, with the opportunities in the high-technology corridor, with what you have in Morgantown with the university, the recreational opportunities that are stones threw away, are we realizing our full potential? Or 
do we hold ourselves back? Somebody told me when I first started working here more than a decade ago now, Morgantown succeeds despite itself. There's some truth to that. There is some truth to that, I think. All right, got to take our final break. We will uh, set the table for Hoppy Kirchville, who is itching to go with Metro News Talk Line. We'll do that next. Join the conversation at 1-800-765-8255. This is the Talk of the Town. At Texter beat me to it. Got to give credit where credit's due. The one thing Phil Kabler left out of his column was to point out the politics of the Eastern Panhandle. Texter says, Dave Martinsburg's very conservative and growing faster. By the way, Morgantown has been stagnant. The surrounding area and municipalities have had the growth. Good point. Uh, 304 Talk 304, I told you the Pfizer vaccine has now received full FDA approval. Texter says, Dave, time to stop the excuses and roll the sleeves up. Dave, this is what we're going to hear. Well, you know, it's not Trump's FDA approved. It's Biden, so I can't trust it. But I'll trust the guy on Facebook that did not finish high school. He knows this stuff. (laughs) And no doubt. Uh, But keep in mind what you were hearing from the left pre-election, before the election. I don't know if I'd trust a vaccine rolled out under the Trump administration. Politics have absolutely been a horrific hindrance in the handling of this pandemic. No doubt about that. All right, Hoppy Kirchville is coming up next. Talk to you tomorrow morning, 906. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.